We're going to be talking about the water of life and the woman at the well. I want to tell you a story. When I lived up in the mountains, um, when I was, oh, 16, 17 years old, there was another gentleman that lived up there in a cave not too far up the canyon. These are desert mountains above Palm Springs from where I lived. And periodically in the summer, he and I would go out and just go exploring. We'd go looking for other caves. Now, those are some pretty rugged mountains up there. And in the time we lived there, people got lost and died from exposure or they fell off the cliffs. Very steep. It goes from sea level to 11,000 feet uh, in Mount San Jacinto. It's one of the tallest mountains in Southern California. And typically when we'd go, he would like bring a gallon of water and I'd bring the lunch and or vice versa. And so we got together one night. We said, yeah, we'll go, we'll go cave exploring. We'll go try and find some other caves. We'll go hiking tomorrow. And uh, we took off. We used to play this game with each other to see who was the toughest mountain man. And we'd see how far we could stop without like pausing to rest. We'd go to town, we'd get our groceries, and we'd hike back up the hill. And uh, I remember one time we went to town because we'd found a man who had fallen and uh, we had to go get the search and rescue. It's, you know, about normally it would take someone two hours to get down there. We got down there in 45 minutes. And the search and rescue people met us and some came in the helicopter, but the other guy with all the medical supplies, he was going to hike up. And he tried to follow my friend Greg. And, and he's got this 50-pound pack on with all this rescue gear in it. And um, he, he, Greg said, let me carry that for you. He tried. He said, no, no, I can do it. We've been trained. Uh, and I think after about 200 yards, he said, all right, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> and he still could not keep up with, with Greg. And, uh, and I used to keep up with Greg. And so we, as we were hiking up the mountain. And, um, but on this particular day, I just I had a flashback to a different story. That's what happens when you take LSD when you're young. <laughs> so back to the other story where we're out hiking around, we're going to go exploring. We went as far as we could, and I didn't want to say I'm tired or I need a drink, and he didn't want to say I'm tired and I need a drink. And finally, I forget which one gave in first and said, all right, let's stop and rest. How about a drink? He said, I agree. How about it? I said, well, don't you have the water in your pack? I said, I got the lunch. He said, no, I told you last night. I said, you bring the water, I'll bring the lunch. Because we had these one-gallon jugs. It was too heavy to bring two of them. And then we realized, boy, it was going to be a long way back. But we, we could have just turned around and gone back to where we knew the water was over several hills. It was miles away. He said, but I'm almost sure there's some water down here in this canyon. Let's just go down there. Well, that took us even further away from the source of water. Wrong time of year. There normally would have been, but it was a dry year. We got down and there was no water. Now we're very thirsty. This is the desert, Palm Springs, summertime where it's a little higher than, you know, where it gets to 120, but it was very hot. And the water just gets sucked out of your body. And I remember we were in distress, thirsty, serious. Um, you can't swallow any spit. You don't have any. And you've got something in the back of your throat. I always forgot what that's called, the little doorbell that hangs down. Yeah. Do you know, when you get real thirsty, it swells up, and you try to swallow it. You can't, don't worry. And we got so thirsty, and finally we turned back and had to go back to where we knew there was some water, and we were wondering if we were going to make it. And finally we got up above the ridge, and you know, now it's like, you know, three in the afternoon, we've been hiking all day in the desert with no water, and we could see the glisten way down below of some water. And um, took off going down the side of the hill. Believe it or not, I was wearing sandals that day, not, not hiking boots, some tough leather, leather sandals. But going down, I was in such a hurry that I, I broke one of my sandals. And there's cactus up there. And there choke cherry thorns. And I mean, it's just not the place to be barefoot. Even though we didn't have any clothes on, you don't want to be barefoot <laughs> up there. We were bare in every other way, but not your feet. And, um, but we were so thirsty, 
that I just kept plodding on down the hill, ignoring the pain in my feet because I knew there was water down there. And then we got where we could see it and you could hear it. And we came around this big rock and there was this pool and it was a big peanut-shaped pool carved out of solid rock with cold turquoise, clear water in it, a sandy bottom. And my friend Greg got down to the water and he just stuck, he beat me down there, he just stuck his face in the water and started to suck the water up. I jumped right over his head into the water. <laughs> and I figure I'm not going to just drink it, I'm going to soak it through my pores. And so when I read these verses in the Bible that talk about as the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul pants after thee. Have you ever been really thirsty? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Chapter 4. And this is where you find the story, it's only here in this gospel, of the Samaritan woman at the well. We don't know her name. And you can take it up with verse 3, John chapter 4, verse 3. And he left Judea, and he departed again to Galilee, and he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, I don't know if you remember that after Jacob wrestled with the angel and he finally made peace with Esau, he came and he settled in this area of Sychar and he bought a section of land from Hamor. And he also mentions in his blessing to, to uh, Joseph uh, on his deathbed, he said, you know, there I got the land that I took from the Ammonite with my sword and my bow. And it was really Simeon and Levi that started the, the fight. But Jacob had willed this land to Joseph because remember, Joseph left home at 17 and never returned. He died in Egypt and said, take my bones back. But Jacob had intended to give this land to Joseph and that's one of the things that made the brothers so jealous is when Reuben, I don't know if you remember the sordid story, but Reuben slept with his stepmother he was the firstborn. Jacob said, you cannot be the firstborn. He gives Joseph this coat of many colors. The brothers are really angry because Joseph, who is the second to the youngest, is now going to be given the treatment of the firstborn because technically he was the firstborn of the only wife he wanted, which was Rachel. So that land was going to be given to Joseph. So this is the well that Jacob gave to his beloved son. And so here it says that uh, they came to this place in Samaria Whereas the plot of ground Jacob gave to Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. When Jacob settled in the area, they dug a well down through the rock straight down by hand. And that well is still there today. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, he sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That would be about noon, high noon. So here you've got middle of the day, hottest part of the day. This place, Sychar, is directly in the middle of the promised land. Do you remember when the children of Israel came into the promised land, they told them to put six tribes on Mount Gerizim and six tribes on Mount Ebal, and one would pronounce the blessing and one would pronounce the cursing, and right between those two mountains is Sychar. So it's in the middle of the land, in the middle of the day, and Jesus is there by himself, and you think about it, his disciples, they go off into town to buy food. They leave him there. The idea was that they were traveling through Samaria, and you know, the Jews were, they didn't get along at all with the Samaritans. And they did not want Jesus to have to risk exposing himself to being unclean because of the Samaritans. And I've heard that the, um, the animosity between the Samaritans, Pharisees in particular, and the, the Pharisees and the Samaritans was so great that the Pharisees said, you could be rendered unclean if the shadow of a Samaritan falls upon you. So they waited till high noon to go to town to get the lunch. Less chance of defilement from a Samaritan shadow. And so they leave Jesus sitting there. They don't want him to risk contamination. And he's thirsty. And he's sitting right by a well. And whether there was shade there or not, it doesn't say. 
But you think about this, here is the, um, the creator of the universe, the one who made the oceans and the lakes and the rivers and all of the caverns underground, and he's thirsty and he can't get a drink. He needed some outside help. You know, 65% of our bodies are made of water. It's the perfect solvent. God uses water, almost all life needs water whether it's plants or animals. And here God, who made all of these things and all of this water, he is sitting on the edge of the well and he's thirsty and he has to depend upon a stranger to give him a drink. And so while he's sitting there, the disciples had gone into town to buy food. A woman of Samaria comes by in verse 7. And Jesus says to her, Please give me a drink. Now, one of the highest honors that you could bestow on a person in that culture was that if you gave a person a drink of water, it meant that you were friends. And even to this day in much of the Middle East, if you invite a person to have tea with you, it means that you are now lifelong friends. And they'll often beg you to come into their homes so that they could give that to you, and that means that you're friends. And to refuse a cup of water would be, pardon the pun, but the coldest thing you could do. Jesus said, if any of you gives a child even a cup of cold water, that you will not lose your reward. And so to give water to the thirsty, God says in his word, that's what he wants to do. He wants to pour water on us. And it tells us in Proverbs 11.25, he who waters will also be watered himself. And so Jesus says to him, this woman, please give me a drink. You can read in the book, Desire of Ages 157, the king of heaven came to this outcast soul asking a service at her hands. He who made the oceans, who controls the waters of the great deep, who opened the springs and the channels of the earth, rested from his weariness at Jacob's well and was dependent upon a stranger's kindness even for a gift of water. Jesus never, knew, never used his supernatural power for his own selfish needs. The woman is kind of shocked. She planned on getting her water and leaving, not asking him any questions. But there's already something a little suspicious about the story. Is that um, she's there getting water alone, which was very unusual. Usually the women came to the well together. You can remember when Eliezer was finding a wife for Isaac. He went there to Mesopotamia and he said, when the daughters of the land come out to draw water, they usually came out together. They came for safety. You remember Moses. Moses was defending the daughters of Jethro when they came to the water well. And it was an unusual thing for a woman to go by herself. And then to, usually they'd go early in the day when it was cool. And they take the water back to the homes, they cover it up and try and keep it cool through the day. To go in the middle of the day, this woman may have been something of an outcast in that town and you read on and it's not surprising it's interesting uh, how many times in the Bible people met their girlfriends at a well Isaac's wife was chosen at a well Jacob saw Rachel after he uncovered a well and he kissed, kissed her and he cried someone said she must have been really beautiful he kissed her and he, all he could do is weep and then it tells us that Moses met Zephorah at a well. I'm just throwing this in in case there's any singles among us today. <laughs> and you figure out where the water cooler is. <laughs> hang out. And so she's surprised and she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, obviously from perhaps his accent or his clothing, they could tell right away, you being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, no less. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's like, don't you know? <laughs> You're not supposed to talk to me. And she answered and she said, he said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He said, you're surprised that I'm asking you for a drink. Um, you'd really be surprised if you knew who it was asking you for a drink. 
Because I have something I could be giving you. I'm asking you for something very small, but I'm offering you something very big. And it's interesting, Jesus wants to reach this person and he starts engaging her by a simple request, by a favor. Sometimes you can disarm people by just asking them if they could do you a favor. Start a conversation. He wants to engage her so he could talk to her about, and he doesn't take long, does he? She says one sentence, he gets right into the gospel. I really appreciate the emphasis this conference has on starting Bible studies. It's not as hard as you think. And Jesus gives us a great example. A lot of times you can see where Christ talked to people one-on-one. -on -one. We talked about Nicodemus this morning. Nicodemus introduces himself and Jesus says, you need to be born again. Sometimes you have more time to get to the point, but he got right to the point because he knew what he was looking for. And here with this woman, Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He says, you've come for water, but I've got water that if you drink this water, you will never thirst again. If you knew the gift of God, what is the gift of God? God so loved the world, he gave the greatest gift. He gave his son. If you knew the gift of God, do you know the gift of God? Jesus is the gift of God. And his spirit, he wants to give us spiritual gifts. He wants to give us the gift of his spirit. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you saying, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, Jesus is talking about something that is artesian. The woman, is, she's talking about something spiritual and, and she's still thinking about, you're sitting here by a well and you're telling me you're going to offer me water. I'm looking around, I don't see, you don't have any water pot. How are you going to give me a drink of water? I've got the water pot. What are you talking about? She's still thinking, you know, in very temporal, carnal, physical terms. And Where are you going to get that living water? The well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, a little bit. <laughs> Who gave us the well and drank from it himself? This well. Do you know the history behind this well? And she says, our father Jacob. The Samaritans were only loosely related to Jacob. Jesus, she's sitting there looking at the one that Jacob worshipped. She's looking at the one Jacob wrestled with. <laughs> Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he fed uh, his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water, this is just water. I remember years ago I was in Israel and I went to the Jordan River and I filled up a plastic bottle, one of those, you know, a liter bottle with water from the Jordan River. And that was back before security would have taken it away from you. Now I can't get that much water on the airplane. And I filled this whole quart bottle up with water and I brought it back with me. And um, I still have it, most of it when I was pastoring with the Navajo Indians, so this is over 33 years ago, I was pastoring with the Navajo Indians, we had a baptism, and I said, hey, you guys want to hear something exciting? I've got some water from the Jordan River. I said, I'm going to pour a little in the baptistry. I regretted that I did that, because then they thought the water was somehow supernatural, and people who before didn't want baptism suddenly were interested in baptism. I said, no, 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 that's not what I thought. I'm a little romantic, and I thought that'd be cool, but I said, it, it's, there's no sanctifying influence in this water. Matter of fact, if you drink that water, it'd probably make you really sick. So Jesus said, this water is water. Yes, Jacob dug the well, but you know what? You test it, it'll be H2O. I know some of us have our favorite water. I don't know how people can afford to drink Evian water. I get mine at Walmart, my bottle of water. And, matter of fact, Sam's Club, right here, when I landed. Matter of fact, just tempting you. I keep leaning towards this microphone. It's not even on. See that? <laughs> this is, it's fooling me. not doing me any good at all. <laughs> if you drink of this water, you're just going to get thirsty again. But the water that I'm going to give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. 
Now, I just need to tell you, this, this sermon, this subject is really precious to me um, because, like I said, I know what it's like to be thirsty. And one of the favorite things for me to do is to be out in the wilderness and find a spring. And I could probably bore you all night telling you stories. I remember one time, see, I'll tell you another one. <laughs> I was out riding around in the Nevada desert with, I told you my buddies go, we're going next month, we go riding around, just, it's a public land way out in the middle of nowhere, we go exploring on our machines, and we got lost riding around in just some mountains up there, some of the mountains are 7,000 feet high, and uh, we ran out of water. And so we went looking for a spring. And I remember I, I, we started looking for water because we thought, and we started running out of gas. And we were siphoning gas out of each other's machines into the other ones that were completely running out. And we thought, you know, we'll try and see if we can limp back. Got to the top of a mountain, and we thought, we better call in in case this gets serious. We had no cell reception, so we drove up to the top of the mountain where we got a cell signal. I called Karen, she was at a wedding. I said, hi, dear, I just thought I ought to let you know. I said, uh, we're lost, and uh, we're running out of gas, and we're out of water. And then I lost reception. <laughs> this is true. She wasn't worried. And uh, finally, we've, we've we're riding around these mountains. We found a spring that was all muddy. Cows had been going through it. And uh, we, all the guys get together. Some of us had picks because I told you we did like little prospecting while we were up there. So someone had a couple of picks strapped to the machine and someone else had a shovel strapped to the machine. It's about eight or ten of us. And we tried to, we kept digging around. We said, where is the water coming from? And we had to start digging and cleaning and throwing. And we, we were all so thirsty. We're looking at the water. We're finally standing in the water, but we can't drink it yet. We found the spot where it was actually coming out of the earth, the source. And we cleaned that all out, and it started filling in a clean pool that we had made. And I filled up my empty plastic bottle, and I had my son Stephen with me. He was like, you know, uh, seven or eight years old. And it was still a little cloudy because there's clay in it, but it's sanitary. And it was cold coming right out of the ground. And we all started passing. He said, I'm not going to drink that. And his lips are all chapped and dry. And, so I'm not, and we're all going, oh, this is so good. And finally he said, okay, give it to me. Because <laughs> you start, you're thirsty enough. I like digging around for springs. And uh, what's really neat is if you find artesian water, if, if you dig down and the water starts coming up, that's such a beautiful thing because there is no life where there is no water. That water that Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit. Where there is no water, there's no life. If you lose all your water, you die. You can live 40 days without food. You can only live three to five minutes without air unless you hyperventilate first. I remember, you know, Jesus fasted 40 days. I don't remember that. I wasn't there. But I mean, I'm just saying, you know, in the Bible, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. But I do remember that there was this one, uh, he was an IRA, an Irish soldier rebel when they were having the problems there in Ireland with Britain. And he went on a hunger strike in prison. And the British decided not to force feed him. And he went 80 days before he died. But you can't last very long without water. The longest I've read about, they had an earthquake in Mexico City. And one man, nine days after the earthquake, they moved some concrete and he was still alive. And he had had no water in nine days. It's because he did not move. He was well hydrated before the earthquake. And he was in a cool spot. But otherwise, you can die very quickly if you don't have water. And you can't live spiritually without water. God wants to give us the water of the Holy Spirit. So, he says, can you give me a drink? 
you don't have a pot. Where are you going to get the water from? And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. That's kind of a radical change of subject. She shuffled from one foot to the other. And she said, um, <clears throat> I don't have a husband. Jesus said, oh, that's correct. You don't have a husband. For you've actually had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. So you, you told the truth. See how positive Jesus is? <laughs> Even though she was being a little bit evasive. Now, one of the pictures I want to see when I get to heaven is her expression. After Jesus, kind of in a few words, he covers the panorama of her life. And then she says, sir, you're a prophet. I perceive that you're a prophet. And then there's a long pause. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. <laughs> She's going to start debating which worship, mountain to worship on. She's pointing to Mount Gerizim. And the Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. And that word woman is not, you know, like some motorcycle rider talking to his motorcycle mama. Hey, woman. Because you know, this is the same term Jesus used when he talked to his mother. And when he even spoke to the woman caught in adultery, he said, Woman, where are those thou in accuses? It means madam. It was a term of respect. It just always sounds a little crude when we read it transliterated like this in English. He said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, and he's pointing to Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem will we worship. The Father. You worship, you don't know what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now that is a pretty bold statement. Salvation is of the Jews. You know, even Paul said, unto the Jew first. Unto the Jews, God commits the oracles of God. The Jews were the guardians of the word. He called that nation. So he didn't mean the Jews are more prone to be saved than others, but he said, the, the message of the truth was committed to the Jewish people. So he said, you know, there's no question about that. Salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, which those who are worshipers of God will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So when he's talking about the living water, he's talking about the Spirit. God is a Spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What does the Lord want from us? He wants us to worship Him in spirit. And the woman said, I know when Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, when He comes, He will tell us all things. She's beginning, why do you think she changed the subject and asked that question? Because her heart is stirring within her. Jesus offered her living water and He begins to share the truth with her and she is feeling that satisfaction. She's knowing there's something different. And she begins to muse in her heart, is this him? There was something about him. I know when Messiah comes, and then Jesus said something to this Gentile woman he didn't even say to his own people. He said, I who speak to you am he. Wow, what a privilege to be there and hear you know, Moses heard God say at the burning bush, I am. And here that woman is at the well, and Jesus says to her, I am. I am he. There's a lot of I am's in the book of John. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I'm the good shepherd. I am the door. All through the gospel of John, Jesus is the great I am. And he reveals to this woman, this woman who's, you know, something of an outcast. And I thought it was interesting. What does a woman often represent in Bible analogies or some symbols? A church. She's had how many husbands? Five. And she's living with one she's not married with. How many is that then? But she's evidently not happy. She's unsatisfied. She's thirsty. And finally she meets somebody who reveals to her the real source of satisfaction. And that would be the seventh, and that's Jesus. 
So you've got like this woman, she's got like six men, no happiness, and she finds rest in the seventh, which is Christ. And I know maybe you think I'm just making too much of that, but it makes sense to me. And you invited me to talk. So, so he tells her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, now the disciples are coming and they're kind of disappointed because they thought, Lord, we didn't want you to be exposed to Samaritan defilement and we, we let you stay here where it was safe and we come and you're talking to a woman, Samaritan, her shadow's all over you. And they're, they're, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And right about that time, she sees them coming and she is so excited that Jesus said, I am the Messiah. And seeing the disciples coming... She decides, I've got to go tell. I've got to go tell. And she goes into town. Verse 28. And the woman then left her water pot and she went her way into the... She didn't even get her water. She's satisfied with something else. It's like those disciples on the road to Emmaus. They asked Jesus to break the bread and He revealed they didn't know it was Jesus. And then he revealed who he was, and I don't even think they stopped to eat their lunch or their dinner that night. I think they got up right away and went to tell that the Messiah was alive. When you encounter Jesus, the first reaction is you're going to want to tell somebody else. Because when you got really good news, have you ever seen something amazing and you're by yourself and you're going, ha, 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 who can I tell? You experience something beautiful and you want to tell somebody and you, you just, you know, now you just, you can get on your cell phone, you can text everybody and you can give them the video and YouTube it with them and do all these things. But used to be you had to get up and go find somebody and tell them. And when you find the truth, she left her water pot. You know, when blind Bartimaeus came to Jesus, he threw aside his garment and he came to Christ. And when she left her water pot, it's like she's saying... I am no longer going to try to find satisfaction in the water of the world. I have found the inner water, that artesian well. You know, there's something mysterious about a spring. I was riding around by myself way out in the mountains. You would probably counsel me not to do it if you knew how far out I was. And it was summertime. And I found a spring. It was actually, it wasn't a spring. I saw, a, I saw bees were landing on the grass. And the bees landing on the grass, bees don't drink very much. And I thought, I think there's water under there. And so I got off my machine and I got a pick. I always keep a pick strapped to my quad. And I started digging and it started getting wetter and I got more excited. I started digging, I dug some more and I started digging and pretty soon it started seeping and getting moist. You could see the glisten on the sand. And I started digging some more, and pretty soon I saw it starting to run out. And I just kept digging until, and I'm hot, and I'm sweaty, and I've got water to drink. But I mean, I was so excited. And what was really neat is the water began to bubble. And I took out my phone, and I took video of bubbles coming up out of the water. No, I don't think it was carbonated. It was probably gas. And if I lit a match, I might have exploded. But to me, it was so exciting. To just see life coming out of the ground. And you can ask Karen, one of my favorite things to do is just to go around in the hills and try and develop springs. Because, and someone will say, what are you doing that for, Doug? You're not going to drink from that. I said, yeah, well, the animals like it. I said, it, it creates life. It draws the animals in. And wherever you got water, in front of our cabin up in the hills, got a bulldozer, dug a hole, made a pond. Just love water. And there's something about it when you see it coming up out of the ground. It's like, where is it coming from? You almost wish that you could become microscopic and go backwards down and trace where in the earth it's coming from. About a year ago, we needed to put a well in. Not a spring. Needed to put a well in. We've got, our, our land is divided by a road. On one side of the land, there's some springs. It's beautiful. We've got a creek and springs. The other side of the land is dry. There's no springs. But I thought, well, maybe I'll sell that land. There's a project we're looking at putting some money into. And so I thought, well, we'll sell it. But you can't sell it without water. So I called a friend that had a well drilling rig. 
And he said, uh, Doug, you realize that if you put a well in, I've got to charge you per foot, whether you find water or not. And he said, you've got to tell me how deep you want to go because you could put in a lot of money in a dry well. It's so sad. I've got some friends. They bought property from an unscrupulous realtor who sold them land and said, oh, yeah, just put a well in. Well, they didn't know anything about the country or that part of the land, and there's no water in that part of the land, and they bought land, and they even started building a house, and then they found out they put well in after well, just pouring their money in, no water. And to this day, they have to haul their water from town in barrels. It is so sad. Can't do anything. Can't have an orchard. Can, I mean, can't have a garden. And so I, I prayed. Well, I tell you, I was on my knees saying, Lord, I've got to pay to put a well in. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. And my friend said, you know, I make a suggestion, Doug, before you put the well in, there are people that are called hydrologists. They study the geology. They plot a map where other people have put wells in, how deep they went with their wells, what kind of ground they fell, found where the water was. He said, it's going to cost you a couple hundred dollars. He said, but you need to get a hydrologist to come out here, look at the land, and tell me the best place to drill. You'll be glad you did. Well, I said, all right, I'm going to take your advice. You've been doing this for a while. So we did that. He came out. The guy marched around. Looked, studied the soil, looked at his charts, drove a flag in the ground with a blue ribbon on it. He said, drill here, 187 feet, 185 feet, he said, you'll find about 13 gallons a minute. I said, okay. So I told my friend, I said, drill right here. I got my dozer, I cleared a pad for him. He started putting down the well. I was in South Pacific with Karen, praying. Because every day he's drilling, it's costing money. Every foot was costing a lot of money. And uh, I sent him a letter, I sent him an email from, we were in Fiji or New Zealand, I sent him an email, I said, any news yet? And I was so afraid. He didn't send me back a response, he sent me back a picture of a white pipe in the ground with water shooting up 13 feet now, it wasn't an artesian well, but what he did is he hit water at 187 feet, 13 gallons a minute. He stuck an air hose down there, and he blew water, air on the line, and the water just would blow out. And then he'd measure how long it took to refill, and that's how they measured it, and it blew out. And I, I was so excited <laughs> to see. I saved that picture. You know, some of you look at pictures of your kids. <laughs> I look at pictures of springs. Because where there's water, there's life. That lady found living water that day. She had to go tell people. You know what she said? Come see. Come and see. That is the best sermon in the world. Philip said to Nathaniel, We found the Messiah of whom Moses and the prophets spoke. Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He didn't argue. He said, Come and see. The disciples were following Jesus. They said, Master, where do you dwell? He said, come and see. And then the whole town went out. She said, come and see a man who told me all things ever I did. Could this be the Christ? She's just placing a question in their mind. With her reputation, it's amazing that they listen. But they did. Then they went out of the city and they came to him. And the disciples are telling Jesus, Lord, you need to eat. And Christ says in verse 32, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And he evidently had water to drink they didn't know about also. Maybe he used the pot she left behind and got a drink of water. He said, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. And right when he said that, you can read in the book, Desire of Ages, the crowds were coming from Sychar up to the well. He said, lift your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. The harvest is great, friends. The laborers are few. There are people out there dying of thirst. And I'm not talking about uh, 
literal bread and water. I'm talking about the water of life. There are so many souls out there that are parched and they're longing for a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem. You remember that story? David was running for his life, hiding in a cave. And he, he was living like a, a fugitive. Probably, um, I think he was in, in Gedi, or he might have been in the cave of Adullam at that time. I don't know, but you know, the cave water wasn't very good. You ever drunk water that stinks? Iron water, or sulfur water, smells like rotten eggs. It's got an aftertaste. Karen and I are looking at houses now. We're going to downsize because the uh, kids are at college. You've got the empty nest. And um, as we look at different houses there in the Granite Bay area or Sacramento, Rockland area, we're, we're trying to figure out where we're going to go. Uh, you know, she's looking at the house and the rooms. I say, can, can I taste your water? <laughs> and I'm saying, how deep is your well? Is the water good? We, you know, we're on city water now. I want to get a place where we've got our own well. And uh, I'm going to get solar panels, make sure we can get the water without depending on the county, and maybe put a little garden in. But bad water. I've stayed in some hotels before where you drink the water out of the tap, you gag. And David's drinking this cave water, and his soldiers hear him say, Oh, if I could just have a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, where I used to drink as a boy, that cold, clean, pure, refreshing water. And his soldiers loved him so much, three of his soldiers heard that. And they said, if our king wants to drink water, if he's thirsty, they went to Bethlehem, which was held by the Philistines. And his mighty men fought their way through the garrison. And while two of them are swinging their swords, one of them's lowering a bucket and drawing water out of the well, they fight their way back out of the city. And they bring the water to David. They loved him so much, they would risk their lives to satisfy his thirst. You know, Jesus hung on the cross. And he didn't say very much from up there, but one of the things he said was, I thirst. I heard a story in 2015. There was a uh, French couple, David and Ornella Steiner, that went for a hike with their nine-year-old son across the White Sands National Monument in New Mexico. I've been there. It's by Alamogordo. And as the temperature rose to triple digits, they realized too late that they had gone too far into those alkali sands. It only brought 20 ounces of water. Most people bring gallons. And both parents succumbed to dehydration. And when the park rangers found the boy, he was dehydrated, but he was alive. His mother and father had died from dehydration. And the reason they died is they kept giving him their water to keep him alive. And Jesus hung on the cross and he said, I thirst. He was thirsty so that he could provide us with living water. Now, you know, the Bible says, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The Lord wants you to have that spirit birth as well as the water birth. We talked about that earlier today. And there's no reason for you to be thirsty. The promise in the Bible is, I will pour water on him that is thirsty. He'll refresh those who are surrounded with the dry ground. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. The gospel is that good news that satisfies a thirsty world. Amen? Years ago, some men were shipwrecked in the Atlantic. Their, their ship went down and they managed to just, I think there's only four of them on the boat, but they managed to scramble into their one lifeboat. But uh, this is before they had motors and radios and everything. And so there they were floating around in the Atlantic Ocean in a uh, lifeboat. 
And it's kind of strange. You can live, you can't live without water and you can't live without salt. But if you just drink salt water, you'll end up dying from kidney failure. And the conventional wisdom is now that you could drink a little bit of salt water when you're at the end of your dehydration and it might prolong your life a little bit, but you can't drink a lot of it. And these men, you know, they went days. I think they caught a couple fish that were swimming around the boat and then it rained and they caught some of the rain water in their clothes and wrung the bitter water out into their mouths. And after several days of floating around there in the ocean, another ship came by. And as they were being rescued, the men just said, water, water, water. And the captain asked them, bewildered, he said, why are you so thirsty? I said, what kind of a question is that? We're dying of thirst. We... He said, you're floating in fresh water. <laughs> they had drifted to a part of the Atlantic Ocean where the Amazon River pushes fresh water over 100 miles out into the sea. And they didn't know it. And here they are dying of thirst, surrounded by water that was drinkable. And it's kind of sad that uh, there's so many people in the world that are going after things that do not satisfy. And Jesus wants to satisfy. Like that woman at the well. She was not satisfied. Thirsty. And she found Jesus and her thirst was satisfied. And then as soon as she was refreshed, she wanted to go tell others. Have you found the living water? Has your soul thirst been satisfied? Have you had a drink from the well of Bethlehem? You know what that well water is from the well of Bethlehem? That's Jesus. You know, as I'm closing our meeting this evening, I, I think it would be appropriate to make an appeal. And I'll tell you, I'd like to break this up into a couple of parts. The first thing I'd like to ask I suspect there's some of you, I've met a lot of people just mingling and maybe you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus and you've never been baptized. You know, Christ said that if we're going to follow him, the great commission is go teach all nations and baptize. The last words of Jesus should be a first priority for Christians. Amen. It represents a washing away of our sin. And the Lord wants to satisfy you with that living water. Maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe some of you have been hearing the message. I've met some people that have been coming to the Adventist church and they've been touched by what they've heard but haven't made a decision yet. If tonight before we close this meeting, you would like to make a decision and say, Lord, I would like to have that living water. I would like to be part of your people. I would like to be baptized. Or maybe for you it might mean considering a rebaptism. There may be some here who have drifted from the Lord and you know you need a new beginning. Would you like to tell Jesus that now? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a special prayer in a moment. Matter of fact, I've got a card here, and I think there are ushers that are available. I don't like to ask if the ushers are available. If there are some here, I keep hugging the podium, forgetting I don't have to stay there. If there are some here, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you say, you know, I've been stirred by things I've been hearing through the week, and I'd like to get a new beginning, or I've never made a decision to be baptized. If you'd like to make that decision, I'd like to encourage you to just stand where you are right now. And we have ushers that will give you a card, and there's a place on the card where you could say, I desire to prepare to be baptized, or maybe it may, might mean rebaptism for you. Would you be willing to stand and make that decision now? Because I'm going to ask you to come forward with your card afterward and shake my hand down front here, maybe have a word of prayer with you. I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to some people. Some of you maybe have been married to someone for years, and you know that you need to make a decision. You're looking for a good time to do it. They're believers, you're not. You've just been tagging along. You can't get to heaven on their relationship with the Lord. You need to have your own relationship with the Lord. Would you be willing to stand now and say, I want to make that decision? Don't worry about what people here might think. This is between you and Jesus. Amen? Everybody here, we're all sinners that needed to make that decision. The Holy Spirit speaking to you. You know that you don't want to wait forever. You might need to be baptized. Why don't you stand? We have an usher that will give you a card. Someone here? 
You'll be encouraged, and I hope that you'll be praying. Praise the Lord. You got a gentleman right here. I see someone else back here making their decision. Some, another man right here. Bring them a card. Encourage them. You've been maybe thinking, Lord, one of these days, I'd like to make a decision. I'm going to surrender everything to you. The first question on the card says, I believe Jesus is coming soon. I don't want to be ready. Friends, if you don't see it happening now, you probably never will recognize it. The signs of the times are telling us that the day of the Lord is approaching. The Lord might be calling you tonight. As some of you are sitting up in the balcony, we could find a way to have ushers bring you a card. Would you like to make your decision? I've never known anyone that was sorry that they said yes to Jesus. If he's speaking, you might feel a battle going on in your heart right now. Don't be afraid. Stand where you are. They'll just bring you a card. Nobody's going to force you into doing anything today. It simply says that you would like to have Bible studies, you'd like special prayer, and know how you could be ready to meet Jesus. Would you like that living water? Stand where you are. You feel the struggle inside? It might be between your Jesus and your devil. And you've got the tie-breaking vote. Tell Jesus yes. What profit is it if you gain the whole world? The waters of the world will never satisfy. Why don't you leave your water pot tonight and accept Jesus, who is the living water? Make your decision. Anybody? Anyone else? Stand now, and they'll give you your card. And I tell you what, before I have prayer, and when, when I have prayer with these people, I'm going to ask them to come down to the front by the piano. I'll take their hand. I'll pray with them. We still have a closing song and some announcements. We encourage everybody to keep the reverence of the moment. I'd like to invite those who have stood to come and to meet me down here by the piano. I'd like to have special prayer with you. And I'd like to pray first generally with everybody here before we sing our closing song. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for Christ and the living water that he offers. We all feel this thirst in our souls. We pray that you'll help us, Lord, to recognize that the things of the world will never satisfy, that it's only going to be through Jesus. You promised that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we will be filled. You promised if we come and we believe that you're offering us a gift that will supply a stream of artesian living water that will spring up in our lives and spill out to others around us. And Lord, I want to pray for each person and the members at large Help us like that woman. Be so full of your love that we will go forth and tell others that we have found the Messiah. I pray that we'll have that enthusiasm to share the good news with everybody that we know. And so we continue to pray for your blessing on the remainder of this meeting and especially those who have made decisions tonight. We thank you and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.